This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Bible, if you will. The main part of our text this morning is going to come in Ephesians chapter 2, but we're going to be looking in uh, John's gospel in Hebrews just a little bit as we get started. We're on a, a series that will go for several more weeks on answering this question, who are we? Do we know who we are? As a believer, uh, as a Baptist, uh, as a Southern Baptist, does it mean that uh, as a Christian, that you have to be Baptist to get to heaven. I, I think there are going to be different neighborhoods in heaven uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ reigning over all. That was kind of a joke there that I have met some people. And I tell people, though, but I'm very serious about what I believe. I think it, I think it is important that we do know what we believe and why we believe. I do think it's also very important in the current culture and the world that we live in that we know what a church believes and what a church stands for and what the, the sign above the door, what does that mean? What is a, a Baptist? Today I want us to look at the historical Baptist doctrine, grace through faith we are saved. If you think back to the beginning of the whole Protestant Reformation so many years ago, uh, it was the, 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 the church basically was saying, okay, there's something that needs to change. We can thank our, our Lutheran brethren, uh, Martin Luther in particular, that said something needs to change. The, the church has become a, a religious thing, and we've gotten off kilter of what Scripture teaches. Now, that's kind of hard for us to grasp because we all have copies of Scripture, and we, we go to church and, and things of that nature. But back then, that wasn't the case. If you wanted to get to God, you had to go through the church. And so this was a, a radical. When I say that we're saved through grace, through faith, you would all say, well, we, we know that. We, we, we know that, Pastor, but this was radical back in the day, that we are saved by something other than ourselves. It's not grace plus anything. It is, it is grace through faith that we are saved. And so grace is a, a great word. I, I was thinking earlier this morning, I get up and start stirring around early on Sunday mornings. I have left late football games to the internet. I'll wake up each Sunday morning. I know people know that I love football, but I, I, uh, I'd rather go to bed early. Y'all can send me a text at halftime whether your team wins or loses. I'd rather get up early and stir around and think about grace. That's spiritual, isn't it? Y'all watch football. I was thinking about grace. I don't remember when I've never heard the word grace. I'll say something else. I don't remember ever not knowing the word God or Christian, or heaven, or hell. I never remember not knowing what these terms meant because by God's grace, I grew up going to church. And I understand that grace and what it is. But like many of us, we grow up listening to something over and over and over. We forget how precious 
words are. We forget what they really mean. How many of us have ever sang the great old hymn by John Newton, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound? Anybody? Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, when you think about somebody writing these words down, you you hear someone that understands how special their salvation is, how wonderful grace is, how majestic and glorious God is. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Isn't that wonderful? How many times have we sang that and just gone through the reading of the words? I guess it was probably during my college days and seminary days when I was intentional about really studying the Word. And I'll go ahead and interject that. I'm embarrassed to say that it took college and seminary for me to study the Word. But great things happen when you really begin to study the Word. And one of my favorite words began about 15 years ago, grace. And when I saw what that word meant, God became very glorious to me. My relationship with God began to be different than it had been before. My understanding of of life itself and the preciousness of life, the gift of the Spirit, the gift that we have of Scripture, the gift that we have of church, the opportunity that we have to gather as people. And that's not even counting what's going to happen one day when I'm walking the streets of glory in a glorified body. The, The futuristic blessings, they're just as important, but... Just all that we have here today, it's all about grace. And the love that God had for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Take your Bible, if you will. Stay to Ephesians chapter 2. I don't want you to leave there permanently, but go to John 17. I made some little notes this week I think are important. Salvation cannot be of works. And so go back in time, Reformation, when all, the, all this began. It was one church, one, one church that was going on, the Roman Catholic church at the time. And it was grace plus something. Grace plus the church. False religions. You know what false religion says? All the isms in the world today, Buddhism, Muslim, all the isms. Mormonism, all the isms, grace plus something. Grace plus the church or grace plus your works. You, you've got to do something to add to it to be saved. And so the, the idea is safe, salvation cannot be of works because the work of salvation has already been completed on the cross. You ever notice the difference between the Protestant cross and the Catholic cross? And this isn't a, I'm against Catholicism today, but you ever notice what's the difference? Who's not on the cross? 
I like that. Now that, that, that gives you, that'll get you fired up. He's not on there anymore. It's finished. He was taken off a cross and he was put in a borrowed tomb and he rose again the third day and he conquered death and hell and the bondage and the power of sin. That's what that cross to us means. That's why Christ is not on the cross. This is the work that God does for us, and it is a finished work. I heard a a gentleman say one time, somebody was uh, getting on to someone about their past. I thought this was funny. Uh, Someone was telling someone about their past life, and this person now is a believer. And he said, hey, you you need to stop nailing Jesus back on that cross. I thought that was pretty good theology. Don't bring up my past sins and keep, keep bringing my sins up against me. You don't, have to, you don't have to nail Jesus back on that cross. He's off of that cross and my sins are forgiven. It is finished. There's great confidence when we can say that I know my sins have been paid for and it is finished. Listen to John 17 verses 1 through 4. It's the priestly prayer as Christ was making his way to the garden. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. It's a great picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Father of the Lord, but he's also the Son of Man, the Son of God. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him all authority over flesh to give eternal life to all those you have given him. And so we see Christ saying all that is about to take place is about eternal life and redemption and reconciliation. Everything that is about to take place on the cross is about grace. And this is eternal life, that you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. Jesus is saying, Father, I came and I glorified the Father as I lived here on earth. I came and I glorified you on earth, having accomplished, what does that word tell us? Christ is saying, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. Then in the backdrop of this conversation, Christ is literally looking at Golgotha and the cross is in the distance and he is saying, Father, I have accomplished the work you have sent me to do. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 30. Uh, beginning in verse 28. And after this, now we know Christ is on the cross here. And after this, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Verse 29, John 19, 29. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they, they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, notice what he said. He said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Nothing else needs to happen. Christ didn't hang on that cross and and know that the task that the Father had sent him to accomplish and headed to the cross. He did not die on that cross and say, it is finished when they finish it. He doesn't say, it is finished when the church is established. 
It is finished. Plus anything. No, he just said, it is finished. Grace plus nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for grace, for amazing grace. And what that means. Lord, we're grateful that when you died, that that temple veil was torn. Signifying that it is finished. There's no more need for earthly sacrifice. That the Lamb of God has finished all that is necessary for our salvation. We thank you for grace. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. And in his name we do pray this. Amen. I was reminded in my sermon preparation this week. Anybody ever heard of evangelism explosion? It was uh, started, you know, we have different, uh, and they're not bad. Some can be bad, but you seem to have the different fads that you go into, a way to present the gospel, you know, and I, I say bad because I have seen some that are really bad. Evangelism explosion was good. It was, it was put together for a way for lay people to have confidence to go out and share the gospel. It, it actually started here in, in Florida. Uh, just the pastor's name just left me. Presbyterian minister started evangelism explosion. And, but here's the thing about evangelism explosion. If you remember, if you've ever gone through that training, you remember this. There was a key question that you asked someone in order for them to think about their salvation. And it went like this. If you died today and you were standing before the Lord and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? And by the way, that is a great question. If, I die, if you died today and you were standing before the Lord himself, now that's not the way it works, but if you were standing before the Lord yourself and he looked at you and said, why should I let you into my heaven? The old answer would have been something like this. Because of this and that. Now you could say, you could really have a lot of fun with this. We don't have time to have this much fun with it. This is a wrong answer because I believe. You know what James teaches us? The devil believes and shudders at the holiness and righteousness of God. I've always said this. The devil has the best theology of anybody this side of heaven. You ever thought about that? He knows more. He knows everything about God. He knows, he's got the word memorized. He knows the, the power of the gospel, the power of the spirit. He knows everything there's ever know about grace. But he refuses to bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not about believing. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because I go to church. Because I give. Because I serve. Because I've done something. I don't know if any of us, if I I thought about that this morning, I don't think I'd be able to speak, do you? I think I'd just sit there and weep. I hope anyway. I hope I would just sit there and just weep. Why should I let you into my heaven? Just weep. 
Because of grace. That's why. You shouldn't let me into heaven. I haven't done a thing to deserve heaven. But it's by grace. God's unmerited favor over us. You want to talk about the love of God? Grace. You want to talk about the mercy? Grace. You want to talk about for God so loved? Grace. Why should I let you into heaven? You shouldn't. But you are. Because of grace. And because I understand what that grace has meant to me. That's a great question. I hope you're pondering that question this morning. It doesn't mean if someone answers it incorrectly that they don't understand. But if they answer it incorrectly, at least it gives you an opportunity to dig a little deeper into what they believe. It's like when someone asks me, I want to be baptized. Why? Because... I always ask, why do you want to be baptized? Why are you coming today to tell the preacher you want to be saved? I'm listening for an answer. If the answer is not really a good gospel-centered answer, I, I just kind of, we talk through that and we kind of move on. If the gospel, it, if conversion, reconciliation, redemption, grace, if, if, if the gospel doesn't tie into that answer, we need to dig deep into our heart and understand what the gospel is all about. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at this word grace. What makes grace so great? What makes what we have in Christ so great? Now, granted to you, you familiar with Paul? If anybody can understand grace, would it not be Paul? If anybody really understands what it means to be forgiven for what they had done for their... If anyone ever embraced what it is to have a wicked heart, where was Paul going when he was saved? Do you remember where he was going? He was going to uh, the church. What was he going to church to do? Kill Christians. He was literally on the road to go and to slaughter innocent Bible-believing Christians at the time. Well, we didn't have the Bible then, but they were believers. They were Christians. He was on the way to, to, to kill Christians, and he met Christ. That's grace. If anybody, if you, know, you want to read about grace, read what Paul writes about grace, because he understands what grace is all about. Why is grace so great? Look at verse there's one and three of, of Ephesians 2. Our main text is going to be there in verse 8. But let's, let's read the whole chapter. What makes grace so great? Verses 1 and 3. I would just simply say because of our need and who we are. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We are dead because of, of that sin and that trespasses in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Now notice what it, when, I, when we say dead, it, it is so unpopular. I don't know of any church setting I have ever been in in my entire life, and I would say this morning included. Anytime I start talking about being dead and our trespasses and sin, it's almost like there's just a little bit of a, a spirit of, uh, you ever feel that? You're dead and you're trespassing and sin. Oh, 
Because it goes against the grain, doesn't it? When you start talking like that in our world, oh, pastor, here we go. One Sunday morning, I had a gentleman up sitting on this side. I've told this story a thousand times. Just, just acknowledge that you've never heard it before. One of our faithful church members on this side of the room came up to me after Sunday morning and said, Pastor, you just, can you just be nicer to us sometimes? You know, I, I, I come to church and, I, you know, I just want to hear about how much God loves me and, and, you know, how I just want to crawl up in Grandfather God's lap and tell him, let, let him just tickle my back and tell him he loves me today. And I come in here and you tell me how dead I am. I'm like, oh. Same day, same service, no kidding. This side of the room. Preacher, I'm about tired of the ear tickling now. I want to hear hell is hot, hell is eternal, we're dead, damned, and doomed, okay? I said, y'all two need to swap sides or something. <laughs> but isn't that funny how you, you know, just, it just, it's just a, this gentleman over here grew up in more of a, a fundamental Pentecostal background. You heard that a lot. He liked that. He wanted to be reminded, that's what Christ did for me. The gentleman over here didn't grow up that way, and he understood it and believed the same way. But just, you know, every time I start talking about we're dead, I get that, Ugh. Some of y'all want to stand up and say, preach it, and others want to go, oh. What makes grace so wonderful is our absolute need for it. And I look at marriage. If, if, if I were to say... Why wouldn't have Sharon married me? But you know, if you just, you probably are amazed that I would say that would be grace. No, I'm going to tell you, no, that's grace. And before you judge, you look at your spouse, that's grace. You really love someone when you realize you don't deserve them, don't you? When we realize our need for what Christ did on the cross we will love him in a way we've never loved him before. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Notice, notice the extent of this. You know, when you look at the news today, why in the world are we in such a mess? Can, can it get any worse? I mean, the other day, this is so sad. I heard the TV beeping. Beep, beep, beep. Amber Alert. You know what I did? I'm embarrassed to say this. Oh, it's just a missing child. Thought that. May have said it out loud. Why would in the world would I say that? Because the world is so bad. It's just, oh, it's just, a, it's just another killing. It's just a missing child. It's just another thing. Let's just go on about our business. Is that how depraved and lost we have become? And the answer is yes. And we need to know what is at stake. Apart from the gospel, it's going to get worse. That friend, that co-worker, that neighbor is not sick. He is dead without the gospel. Notice the wording it uses there. Who by nature, what is our nature? Nature is just, it's kind of who we are, our nature. By nature we are what? If, if, if some television preachers were writing this, they would have said, by nature we're just sweet people. By nature, what does it say? By nature, we're children of wrath. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Like who? 
the rest of mankind. What a miserable place to be. Dead children of wrath. But, you need to circle that, verse 4. But God. What makes grace so great is the need that we have for it. Look at verses 4 and 7. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with who? Christ. By grace you have been saved. Unmerited favor. A gift of God. So that in the coming age, well, verse 6, and raise us up with him, seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. But God, rich in mercy, and because of his great love, He made us alive together with Christ. That is the the biblical idea and theological principle of justification. We have been declared just and righteous. You think of a courtroom setting. Some of you may have had to go to court for different reasons. That is a horrifying experience. That judge walks in. Do you know what that judge represents? The law. Whatever he says goes. I was in trouble once or twice. I'll tell you a little story. I had to go to court. And I was a young man, and I remember I, I got my papers to go to court. I'd been a little mischievous. And I remember my dad, I remember telling my dad, Well, I got to go to court. You want to go with me? He said, I wasn't with you when you got in trouble. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember being scared to death. I remember sitting in that courtroom, William Jonathan Beck. Whenever you hear your whole name, it's never good. I I jokingly tell people, I owe somebody a lot of money or I'm about to go to jail. William Jonathan Beck. And I stood before the judge. Now, little did I know, my dad knew the judge and this, that, and the other. And I I didn't get out of trouble, but I remember... I remember somebody leaning forward and saying something to the judge, and the judge looked at me and gave me probation or something like that, and that and the other, and bang, that was it. But what I found out later was is that somebody that knew somebody, it was kind of one of those, let's scare this, a scared straight thing. When we stand before God and we are dead in our trespasses and sin. It's almost like that little voice, that person that leaned over in the judge's hand, ear, or slid him that piece of paper, whatever he did. Christ says, this one's with me. And that judge looked at him and goes, not guilty. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up. 
he justified, he sanctified. But notice verse 6. There's also going to be a, a raising us and a seating us with him in the heavenly places. Throughout Scripture, you're going to see this often. Already, not yet. I am saved and I'm growing in my salvation. I'm not yet totally understanding that. I am sanctified, but I'm, I'm already sanctified, but not yet totally understanding what sanctification looks like. I am already saved. I'm already filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm already in a great place, but not ready yet. When, when we die, we are already at paradise, but there's not a not yet fulfillment. An already and a not yet. Already Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, but not yet he's not come back and fulfilled all things. Already I know that I'm saved by grace through faith, but I've not yet totally understood it until we're glorified in heaven. Think about that. All that he has done for us. So that in the coming ages, he might show, verse 7, the immeasurable riches of his, what's that word? Grace. What does immeasurable riches consist of? How many of your checking account balances today have immeasurable riches? I mean, when you, when you, just, when you do that tally, it's just dot, 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 whatever. If that is the case, I would love to have your checkbook for about a week. We could do global missions in a great way. Understanding grace is like understanding immeasurable riches. We need it. God has provided it. Then we come to verse 8. For by grace... Unmeasurable riches, God's favor upon us, God's riches at Christ's expense, that gift that the Lord bestows upon us by grace. And this is what you think back many years ago, and it's kind of a historical series looking at Baptists. Baptists, we believe this. This is what, these are the things that we are proud about. When we think about, you can talk about, you know, well, I'm not really as proud about being a Baptist. You can just say it this way. This is what we believe. This is what believers believe. By grace, through faith. Notice what the word says. We have been saved. This is not of your own doing. It is what? Gift of God. It goes on to say, not of works, so that no one may boast. There's a need for grace. Secondly, we are Saved by grace. Grace meets that need. We are saved by grace. Several years ago, I don't remember how old I was. I just remember being in Destin, Florida. And there have been several times I've tried to go by there, but Destin's so grown up I can never find it. We were vacationing with the family. I had to be in like middle school age. I just remember one of the sisters was, you know, I was at that middle school age where anybody younger than me, I just, they were just aggravating, a girl especially. And I remember being out in the ocean, and all of a sudden, this arm grabs me on the leg. 
And I remember being out there, and it was stormy, and the parents had told us to watch out for the tide coming and going. And this arm grabbed me on the leg, and I remember being a teenage boy and, and reaching up, and it was the little sister of my friend, and I picked her up. I didn't think anything of it, and she just wrapped around my neck, and she started screaming, and she started crying, and, you saved me, you saved me. And I was like, what is she talking about? And we got back up into the the house, and I remember she ran in there and told her mom and dad what a great human being I was. I saved her. He said, I could see her today. If she was in our midst, she would run down this aisle right here and say, I wouldn't have a life if it was for him, not for him. And we were teenagers, and I bumped into her later in life, and she was like, oh, you saved me. I was like, what? Get over it. I thought about that this week. Why is that such a big deal to her? She was drowning. She was literally, as a young child, under that water and had been sucked out by the current and was rolling around on the ocean floor and was literally drowning. Until what? I reached down and pulled her up. You'll never get her to not appreciate that day because she knew that she was drowning. That's grace. Maybe we forget that God saved us by grace through faith, not of works. We can be the nicest person in the world and we can be a noble character. We could have done great things our entire life, but that is nothing compared to who God is and his righteousness and his holiness. But because he is a great God of love, he has saved us through faith. I was reading an article this week about a, it's one of these things, you have to be careful if you, if, if you want to put yourself on the internet and blog and sermons and all that. You're basically saying, everybody listen to everything I say and you can criticize it. So I was reading about a, a commentator writing about a television preacher that has a different view of grace. And this commentator was talking about this television preacher. I won't say his name, but he, he's sweet. God is good. He's got a cute little smile and a real big church. I've always said I could whittle that church down to about 100 in about a week. But there's a, a, a thinking in our world today about what it is about grace. You don't hear about you were saved. You don't hear about being dead. You don't hear about all that God did for you. Their theology is basically whittled down to this. God is nice. You are nice. You go be nice. And I read that and I said, that is exactly true. God is nice. You're nice. Let's all go be nice. Think about it this way. That's, that's, that makes a great greeting card, doesn't it? Maybe I think too much. What when Christ was laying on that wooden cross and they were nailing that nail through his hand? Well, if God is so nice, and I'm so nice, and let's just all be nice, I really don't need to go through this. 
when they were beating the crown on his head and he was bleeding with a nail. He did that because he knew we couldn't. What can wash away our sin? We sing the songs, but do we believe the theology behind it? What can wash away our sins? Nothing but what? Something had to pay the penalty for our sin. That is the cross. Yes, God is nice, but he's a God of wrath. And yes, we are redeemed, but we weren't always Being nice doesn't get us into heaven. Being smart doesn't get us into heaven. Grace through faith gets us into heaven. We are saved by grace. Grace is through faith. Verse 8, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, lest any man should boast. Somebody may ask me, what what is faith? Forsaking all, I trust him. F-A-I-T-H. Grace is Paul walking down the road on the way to murder and kill believers. But God rich in his grace and mercy, reveals himself to them. By faith, and God doesn't make us believe, but yet we believe. And that belief, and this is where it gets great to me, I like like things that make me think. Some people don't. I love to think about this stuff. God doesn't make us believe, but yet we know belief is a gift. So Paul had responded by faith, but yet even that faith is a gift. Why do we struggle so much with that? Why does the world hate that so? I thought years ago, I was wrestling with grace and faith and all the things of Scripture, and I thought one day, I'd rather give God the credit he deserves now than be sorry later. You ever thought about it that way? And I thought about one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and and the Lord's going to say, Now, John, we need to talk. You gave me too much glory down there. Shame on you. John, you gave me too much credit. You shouldn't have given me so much credit. Really? Really? I know that it's by grace that I'm saved because I know what I'm capable of apart from grace. Because the alternative would be, well, why wouldn't you? Well, Lord, of course I'm entering your Why should I let you into my heaven? Because I'm John. Why shouldn't you let me into my heaven? Where's my street? From the foundations of the world, you were going to let me in here because I'm me. No, from the foundation of the world, you were going to let me in here because of the cross. Not because of me. Grace is a gift from the Lord, and I'm grateful that I was able to respond by faith and receive it. 
And being in that Baptist church that I stood up out of a a pew and made my way down and told the pastor, I'm saved. By faith, followed through with, with baptism and joined the church. By faith, forsaking all, I trust him by faith. It is grace that saved, and I've kind of tied all this in together, but last, this grace is always a gift. I'm going to ask you how special a gift it is. I've been going through boxes. I love going through stuff. Yesterday was grandparents' box. I've got a little cup that went into the I don't know what they called it back in World War II and us modern soldiers we call it MREs I don't know what they were C rations I think is what they called it I've got a little sterling silver cup that was my grandfather's in World War II I'd probably run in a burning building to get that and in that little cup is his dog tags and a set of Japanese dog tags and a Japanese, and the other, I got a little little World War II Japanese canteen. And an old faded little sign where he served in Guam. And I've got his old Marine Corps anchor globe and eagles that he wore in the 1940s. My brother makes see those and goes, I want those. I said, you're going to have to fight me for it. You've never whooped me. And he's going to say, yeah, but you're 50 now. That was back when you were 20. He's my younger brother. And I would say, no, 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 that's a gift. I'll give you this stuff, but you're not getting that stuff. He gave that to me. Think of this story. You're a thief and you're a murderer. And your whole life, all you've been is a thief and a murderer. You've never done anything good. Your whole life is kind of made up in this lifestyle of, of just wrong. There's no good in you. Then on your deathbed, someone shares the gospel with you. And you receive Christ for who he is. Is that fair? may not be fair, but it's grace. Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Verse 40, Luke 23, But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for our receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, the thief said, the murderer said, the reprobate said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's grace. Grace is understanding how much God loves you through Jesus Christ. Yes, we have to understand that we're dead 
And as our church member used to tell me, do we all have to be dead? Yes, we have to be dead. We have to deny ourselves and take up the cross daily to follow Christ. But as a drowning girl reaches up for a hand to save her, as a a thief on a cross reaches to a, a Savior for eternity, as a dead person looks up and is able to acknowledge there is a giver of life, we have the gospel. That's grace. And as we understand grace and the gift that it is from God, what a special gift it is as we walk out of this building and we understand what grace is, as we watch the debate tonight, what's the problem? It's a gospel problem. And our country needs grace. We look into the streets and the murdering and the riots and we look at all the stuff and all that's going on. I, I want to put something together that says, Grace matters. It's a grace problem. And when we understand that our life and our gift, grace is a gift. If we're going to box up something and send it to somebody and know that it is going to be a gift, then why can we not embrace that our grace is a gift and we take that gift to a world that needs to desperately hear it and respond to it through the gospel of Jesus Christ? So that, back to Ephesians, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that she had walked in him. Do you know that in Genesis chapter 1, the gospel was on God's mind? Mount Calvary is written between the pages of Genesis 1. Beforehand, he had a plan, and that plan was Jesus Christ. Beforehand, he had a plan, and that plan is grace. Beforehand, he knew his son would die on a cross for our sin and that we would receive the gift of grace so that we may boast of God's glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was radical hundreds of years ago. That we're saved by nothing. The the church has nothing to save me. My works have nothing to save me. I don't believe something, but then I have to do something. I don't believe something, then I have to join something. I don't believe something, I have to identify with something. I am saved by grace through faith, not of works, so no man may boast. This was radical. But I would say it's just as radical today. We are so afraid to let God be God in so many of our lives. The greatest words that should come out of our mouth is grace. While the Bible is a story about the gospel, while the Bible is a story about redemption, while the Bible is a story about salvation, while the the Bible is a story about Christ, more than anything, I believe, the Bible is a story about grace. And him sending his son to die on a cross and sending the spirit and opening up our eyes and allowing us to respond to the gospel and to be part of something like this and to worship and sing songs of the faith, to go out and live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is grace. 
His return one day. Don't, let me say this. Don't be afraid about the Lord's second coming. A child of God shouldn't be fear of that. We got to rejoice that it's going to happen one day. That's grace. We are His workmanship created for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to close with this. Paul David Tripp wrote these words. God for us, he gave his son to die for us, to forgive our sins. God for us, Jesus conquered death to give us new life. He dwells within us. God for us, he showered us with love. He gives us strength. We're his forever. God for us, the cross of Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we're grateful that we have a wonderful, merciful Savior. We are grateful, Lord, for your grace here this morning that bestows upon us the need that we have to be saved. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here today that needs to respond to the message of grace, that today, through faith, they would be saved. We're grateful that by your grace, your grace is sufficient, as Paul reminds us. Lord, you are wonderful. You are merciful. I pray we understand that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.